Hello, and welcome to the Pack Mag Parents Podcast, your place to laugh and learn. Everything we do is to make the lives of everyday parents easier. Without further ado, let's welcome our hostess with the mostess, Bree James. Well, hello, I'm Bree James, and welcome to our 100th episode of the Pack Mag Parents Podcast. Woo, we made it. Now, whether this is your first time listening to the Pack Mag Parents Podcast, or you've been here listening since the start, I just want to say thank you so much. We truly appreciate your support. We've learned so much in the last 100 episodes, things from, you know, amazing tricks and tips and lessons from some incredible guests from all over the globe. And to mark this very special occasion, we have found one of my most favorite humans on the planet to be our special guest on today's show. I'll tell you a little bit about them. So for over 40 years, this guest has been teaching entrepreneurs, educators, corporate leaders, and people from all walks of life how to create the life they desire. He's the author of the well-known Chicken Soup for the Soul series. He's a multiple New York Times bestselling author. I am so excited to be welcoming Jack Canfield on the PacMag Parents podcast today. He's going to chat about his new children's book, I Can Believe in Myself. And he's going to share his advice for helping the young people in our life turn their thoughts from I can't to I can. Now, let's not waste any more time. Let's get the amazing Jack Canfield on Zoom all the way from Santa Barbara, California. It's time to get to class. So everyone listening would be familiar with your Chicken Soup for the Soul series or maybe one of your other bestsellers. There's so many to choose from. Um, You're an expert in helping people find success. Uh, Was that one of the motivators for your brand new book? It's fantastic for kids. Yeah, the reason we wrote uh, I Can Believe in Myself was two reasons. One, I wanted to reach kids because I, I always say people... You know, if it's done on time, it's called education. If it's done late, it's called therapy. So the idea is we want to teach our kids high self-esteem. We want to teach them to believe in themselves. We want to teach them to go for their dreams. And too often, we don't see that happening in the schools. And so it's really up to us as parents and grandparents, in my case, to be doing that with kids. And I think the other thing was the co-author on the book with me, a woman named Miriam Laundrie, she has three children who are still in school. And she had taken a workshop with me and she wanted to go back and teach something she learned in that workshop. And I had done this exercise called can't won't, where you have to start a series of sentences with I can't like they're true for you. I can't find time to answer the mail. I can't lose that last 10 pounds. I can't stop smoking. I can't keep my room clean, whatever. And then they have to go back and, and say the same things and say, I won't like I won't stop smoking. I won't keep my room clean. I won't answer all my emails. And people really begin to see, wow, it's not that I can't, I'm choosing not to. And so she wanted to teach that to her kids, but she realized the lecture wasn't going to do it. So she said, can I create a story that will convey this idea that can't is going to stop you and there really is no such thing? And so this is kind of the etiology of the story. And then we developed it into the book and got this great illustrator to do it. And it's a fabulous book, but that's how it came to be. Yeah, it's a really simple yet effective book. I really enjoyed it because um, you've written so many of these books, like, any, written so much about these topics in the adult series. Um, so imagine helping children to do the same was a huge part of why you undertook the project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, we, we actually had done a, a, 
but what say chicken soup for the kids soul book and chicken soup for the preteen chicken soup for the teen soul and so forth but we'd never really written what i would call a picture book for younger kids and so that was just it was on my to-do list you know that that bucket list we all have you know yeah. i wanted to write i wanted to write a children's song i wanted to get a poem published i wanted to write a children's book you know so that was there so when when miriam came up with this idea that we could turn this into a book i went yeah this is perfect and i have an eight-year-old grandson named ozzy and uh we read the book to him several times and he gets off on it every time and i gave one to his teacher she read it to the class and you know that all the parents wanted a copy so they could read it to their other children. So it's 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 had a good effect. I'm really excited about it. Did they do the activity at the end in the class? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have about three or four activities in the back of the book. One of them is called the I Can't Funeral, where you actually have the kids write down all their I can'ts on a sheet of paper. And then you can either shred it in a paper shredder, you can take it outside in a box and bury it, you can burn it. And then you have a funeral, uh, like a eulogy, where it goes something like, you know, um, we're here today to honor uh, I can't who's been laid to rest. He's survived by his nephew and his cousins. I can, I will, and I'll try. <laughs> it's really cute and very fun. And but I think kids respond to rituals like this is really real. This is something we should do. And and then we have juice boxes and snacks and, you know, we make like a little wake you would, I guess you'd call it. And the kids take it seriously. And then in our house. You know, most families will have what often they will have a swear jar. If you swear, you got to put a quarter in there or something like that. So we had a can't jar in our house. If you said, I can't, if you made an excuse, if you blame somebody or you uh, complained about something, you got fined. And then we'd give the money to charity. I love that. I'm going to yeah. start that in my house. <laughs> Good. <laughs> That's a really, really great idea. I really love that because, yeah, the, the, I can believe myself. It's a gorgeous book. Uh, and it is a really simple message, as you're saying, but it is interesting uh, how many children don't believe they can. Like they say, I can't. Like I had to do cooking with my son's class yesterday. And um, one of the little boys even said to me, oh, I can't pick that up. It looks too heavy. And I'm like, seriously, take the lid off and you're, you're okay. You can do this. So it's interesting how uh, easily we fall into that I can't mentality. Yeah, you hear kids saying it all the time. I can't sing. I can't dance. I'm not athletic. You know, I can't do a cartwheel. I can't make the basketball team. You know, I can't see my friends. And there's been a lot of I can'ts that are true right now with the pandemic and so forth. But mostly the things that people say they can't do are things they want to do, but things they feel they can't. I mean, I remember when I was teaching my son, who's now 30, to play tennis. And after about 10 whacks at the ball and it didn't go over the net like everyone else that was an adult, he said, I can't do this. And he stormed off the court, you know, so we had to come back, take one thing at a time, you know, and learn to do it. But but it, how quickly he went there because he just didn't like failing, you know, and the kids think if they don't do it immediately perfectly that they just can't do it. And the truth is, it takes practice and instruction and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I agree. And children, you know, I think they are so scared of failure these days that they're, they're definitely in that they'd prefer not to try than, than to try and fail, which, you know, I guess on a self-esteem point of view, we get so much self-esteem from being able to do things and having that confidence to give it a try, you know? Um, but so why do you think, um, and how can parents, I guess, help their children build their self-esteem better? Well, I think one of the things is to chunk down what you're asking them to do. Like, you know, like when my son was like learning to play tennis, 
he just thought he'd go out there and swing the racket at the ball and it would miraculously go over the net. And there's a whole bunch about stance, about grip, about like, let's start like one foot from the net so you can put it over and, you know, make it easy. And then we'll back up to two feet and then three feet and so forth. And we don't start with kids with basketball with a 10 foot net. You know, we start with something that's shorter and little by little that we raise the net as they get better at it. And I think that a lot of times we don't, chunk it down as the term I use to make it easy little steps and then celebrate all those steps along the way uh, too often you know parents get frustrated they get impatient you know come on you're not trying you're not concentrating let's go focus and the kids they, they start feeling like they're failing instead of it's just a fun process of learning you know they'll learn to play a video game if they want to play it they'll sit there for hours and figure out how to do it because it's something they really want to do and nobody's standing over them making them feel like they failed you know and they're getting little rewards along the way they win stars and points and coins and you know the whole thing's gamified to keep them addicted to it and i think we can learn from that and i think you know we we we, we have a thing in california now where we're trying to keep the whales out of the you know the the, the parks where they have these sea worlds and things like that because it's kind of cool to the whales but one of the things we know about how they train them to jump over a rope was if they just swam over a rope on the bottom of the pool, they give them a fish. And then they raise the rope maybe six inches and they swim back over it, they give them a fish. And then they raise it a foot and they swim back over it, they give it a fish. And they just kept doing that until it was right up at the surface of water. And that whale would go right over the rope again because it's being conditioned little, 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 little steps at a time. And I think if we do that with kids, um, I was talking to a teacher who believes this same approach the other day, and she was telling me she had this kid that she was teaching cursive writing to. A lot of kids don't know how to do that anymore. They print and they type, you know, and um, she said this one kid's writing was like chicken scratch. You couldn't make out a word. And she said, normally the parents would go like, come on, you're not trying. Look at this, like terrible. And she said, I said to the kid, I bet in a week we'll be able to make out a whole word. And so just like an encouraging comment. And then a week later, she said, is that the word time? Yeah. A week later, is that the word dog? Yeah. I bet in a week we'll be able to make out a whole sentence. And it just kept going like that. Positive expectation, reward the little success along the way. And after a while, you could read all his writing. So I think we have to be somewhat patient, believe in it. I always use this metaphor. If you teach your child to walk, I mean, you say, well, you got 1,000 tries, and after that, forget it. I'm not going to work with you anymore. <laughs> you don't do that. They fall down a lot, and they get up, and they fall down, and they just keep doing it. And we keep supporting them until they get it. And I think we need to do that same thing with whatever it is, whether it's learning to ride a bike, working with a computer, you know, doing math in school, whatever it might be. It's so true, because we do get, I think, uh, impatient as our children grow, but that's probably when they need us to help them navigate things even more so than just walking, so... Sure, sure. And I think they become more self-conscious as they get older, too. You know, there's peer pressure and we often they feel shamed by their peers and coaches and parents and teachers and so forth. So especially when they get to that, you know, that middle school age is like really tough, you know, always comparing themselves to everybody. Yeah, and I think we do it as adults a lot as well. Um, I'm quite mindful of it these days that I try not to... Um, let the thoughts out of my head um, and let my children hear them because I think it's so important that we model the right behavior, uh, you know, and model the right, um, you know, attitudes to our children as well. So I guess that was part of the book that you had where the teacher at the end, she, she was like um, owning her I can't as well and went up and put this thing in the shadow talking about the things that she can't do as well. Uh, how important do you think it is that parents 
um, modeling positive behaviors and attitudes for children? I think it's very important. I think they need to model self-acknowledgement. I think they need to model admitting their mistakes so the kids realize mistakes are normal and it's part of the process. I think they need to model sharing their authentic, true feelings so the kids feel that their feelings are okay. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel angry, you know, whatever. Um, and I think they need to model, one of the techniques we teach is something called the mirror exercise where you stand in front of the mirror and you talk to yourself before you go to bed at night and you acknowledge yourself for any achievements for any temptations you overcame and for any disciplines you kept and you end with, I love you. And I think it's important that parents teach kids to do that, but do it by, you you model it by doing it with them first until they get it to where they can do it on their own. And I remember my, my wife one night, she had cooked dinner and it was a pretty complicated dinner. And I think our kids were all like in a 12, 13, 14 year old range. And she got up and she said, I want a standing ovation. That was the toughest dinner I ever cooked. And I would like a lot of acknowledgement. So we all got up and gave her a standing ovation. And that was modeling. It's okay to ask for support. It's okay to ask for acknowledgement, you know? And uh, so I think that's an important thing as well. And then I think you know, acknowledge that you're constantly growing and learning, you're reading, you know, you're turning off the TV sometimes, you're challenging yourself, you're learning new skills. Like I remember, I, I learned to juggle when my kids were about, about six and 12, uh, my two older boys, and they started juggling. And we dropped the balls everywhere until we realized we could buy these bean bags that didn't roll all over the floor like like a tennis balls do. And, and it was great for all of us. They realized dad's learns new things too and he doesn't start out perfectly and so it gives us permission not to do that as well it's so true because we all try and be perfect parents i think that's one of the things of our society now is that we're trying to be perfect but i think you're exactly right we i love that getting the applause after dinner i think you should um get an applause <laughs> after a really bad dinner that you failed at as well so <laughs> yeah i tried really hard i want a plus for that <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah give me a high five i know it's burnt and it's disgusting but you're all eating it so high five you <laughs> Um, 2020 has been a, a year, as you, you mentioned earlier, of vicarants, you know, for, for good reason. Um, so I guess how is this book's message inspiring a sense of empowerment for our children that even, you know, the I cans, turning those I can'ts into I cans? Well, I think what you have to do is look at are there I can'ts that you're telling yourself that aren't really true? Or are there things you really can't do? Like when the pandemic was here in America, at least, you know, we couldn't go out. Uh, kids couldn't go to school. Kids couldn't see their grandparents. Kids couldn't go play with their friends. They couldn't practice with their sports teams, go to their music classes, et cetera. So those were real. And then the question is, well, what can you do? Because too often when we're focusing on that one thing we can't do, you know, then we can't see all the options of what we can do friend of mine was in an accident on a motorcycle and he burned all of his fingers and he just has stubs, you know, he has no fingers like you and I have. And he said, I realized I can't eat with chopsticks. I can't play chopsticks on the piano or something. Man, a lot of things I can't do, but there's 10,000 things I still can do. I can talk, I can read, I can sing, I can write poetry. You know, he's a motivational speaker. Um, so the reality is to always be helping the children focus on, well, what can you do? Like my grandson, Ozzy, um, couldn't go out with his friends and play. And so my, my son bought him just tons of cardboard and they decided they were going to make cardboard weapons of every possible time in history they could think of. And they made maces and swords and knives and, you know, all kinds of things, but they couldn't do that. You know, so it's like, find out, well, what can you do? 
and let's focus on what we can do and not focus on what we can't do. It's just a matter of shifting focus, shifting attention. Yeah, great, great, great advice. I'm going to try that one with my children a bit later on because they always say, I can't empty the dishwasher, mom. I just can't. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm going to say, well, you know what? You can go and pick up that other stuff instead. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, so what would you, uh, there is that old saying, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? So how much does fear of failure hold us back, do you think? I think it holds us back a lot. And I think the reason is most people don't really understand fear. Fear is imagining the negative outcome you don't want to have happen. So even if there was a snake coming at you right now, in the present moment, you're fine. You'd have to imagine the snake biting you, which would happen in the future, hasn't happened yet, in order to be afraid of the snake. So what happens is what we want kids to focus on, well, what would you like to have happen? Well, I'd like the kids to tell me I did a gay talk. I'd like the kids to tell me I'm a good athlete. I'd like to make a goal. I'd like to do a cartwheel. I'd like to get the A on my spelling test. Well, great. What I want you to do is close your eyes and imagine getting that result. The teacher's patting you on the back. The other kids are telling you, great job. You know, you're seeing the ball go through the hoop in basketball or the goal in soccer or whatever. And what happens then is I'm using that same function of visualization to imagine what I want instead of what I don't want. So one of the, the great truths of life is that your body cannot tell the difference between a real event and a vividly imagined event. So that's why when people imagine like standing on the edge of a terrace on top of the tallest skyscraper in the world, if they walk to the edge and look down in their mind, even with their eyes closed, their whole body will respond. Their heartbeat will go faster. Their hands get sweaty. Their body pulls back if they're standing up, et cetera. And so literally we can rehearse anything and get better at it simply by visualizing it. So the bottom line is basically the way to handle fear is to whatever you're feeling it, imagine what's the outcome you want as opposed to the one you don't. And then imagine getting that. If you can teach kids to do that and do it yourself as well as an adult, what happens is you'll find it's much easier to take action and that the fear won't stop you anymore. Yeah, because fear holds so many of us back. I know, you know, there's so many things that, that we want to do in life, but it's so sad. I, th I get really sad when I see people that had all these hopes and dreams but didn't do it because they were too scared to. Yeah, even in the language, like fear holds us back. There, there is no fear holding us back. We're creating the fear. I always say I scare myself by imagining, you know, as opposed to I'm afraid that or it's scaring me or there's something to be afraid of. Because, you know, with very few exceptions, there is nothing to be afraid of. Um, I mean, even if someone is walking toward you with a knife, you have to go into the future and imagine something bad happening. You know, and there was where you want to be is conscious, like, well, what should I do? Should I run? You know, should I, yeah. should I you know, bring out my karate skills, whatever it might be. <laughs> and the last thing you want to be is afraid. You want to be fully conscious in that moment, you know. And it's so true. And I guess that's why your book is so special, because it shows children how to overcome their fear and, you know, what happens when we do. Right. Right. Yeah. One of the things that we teach kids when we go into classrooms, we'll often read the book and talk to them about overcoming their I can't. So we say, look, anything you want to do, we use this example of one of Miriam's kids who wanted to learn to do a cartwheel. And she tried it about five times, fell over and said, I can't, I can't do a cartwheel. And she just walked away. And so we said, well, do you really want to do a car wheel? She said, yeah. So here's the three steps. Number one, you have to choose to believe you can learn to do it because if someone else can do it, you can do it. Number two, you have to find someone who knows how to do it and ask them to teach you what they know. And then number three, you have to practice. And that's true with anything you want to do. You want to learn how to spell words or people who are good spellers, they can teach you how to do that.
then you have to practice the words. You want to sing a song, you learn to sing, someone tells you how to do it, shows you, demonstrates it, then you practice it. Same with the piano, soccer, whatever it might be. So if you just do that one, two, three, I can believe it's possible. Number two, get someone who knows how to do it to teach you. Number three, practice. You can do anything. Yeah, I love that. That's a beautiful, easy three-step process that we can all remember. Mm -hmm. um, now, are there any other ways? You've come up with so many amazing uh, things for us today on, who are listening. Uh, is there any other ways that you believe we can cultivate the power of positivity in our homes and in our lives? Yeah, there's, there's a technique we use. Uh, we call it dinner table conversations, where every day when the kids come home from school or at the end of the day on a weekend day or whatever, you have a topic for conversation and everybody gets a turn and nobody's allowed to interrupt anybody when it's their turn and you always go around the table in the same direction. So, it, you know, people it becomes predictable, becomes safe that way. And the topic could be like, what was your greatest success today? What did you learn today? What was the coolest thing that happened to you today? What difference did you make in the life of someone else today? You know, what's one good thing you did? Uh, what are you looking forward to tomorrow? Um, what's your favorite TV show and why? So basically what happens, is you're constantly focusing on positive topics. You can also focus on things that are uncomfortable too. What's the scariest thing that happened? So people get permission to talk about their fears, talk about their sad moments, talk about, you know, what maybe is up for them that they're concerned about at school, you know, being bullied or, you know, we have this difficult test coming up. And so they get permission to be real, to be authentic, to be, you know, transparent. Um, those are good. Then also pictures. Uh, one of the things we always say is always have at least two pictures, one of your kids doing something they love to do. So, you know, in their baseball uniform, playing their violin, whatever. And then in a, in a group family picture of everyone looking loving and happy. So they always believe I belong, I'm lovable, and I'm competent and capable. And those are the two things that make up self-esteem, lovable and capable. And then you can put pictures on the refrigerator and all that. But you'd always have two pictures in your bedroom of things that going to see every single day that says I'm loved and I am good at something. Mm, that's beautiful. I really, really like that. Um, now, you have a very successful career, not only as an author, uh, but as an award-winning speaker, um, coach and all sorts of things. Um, mm -hmm. Now, one once experienced by the main character, Molly, in the book was getting up and speaking. You know, she was so nervous to do it. Um, and right. she didn't want to get up in her class. Um, so have you got any tips for children listening right now and adults, I guess, that are struggling to get up and speak in public? Yeah, number one, remember, first of all, everyone in life is, is just as afraid of everything as you are. That's just the, the reality of it. So just know that that's true. You don't have to be afraid. Number two, do what we said. Practice in your mind giving a talk. Practice in your mind, everyone loving it. Practice in your mind if you're an adult getting a standing ovation. I remember the first time I had to speak to a large group, I went into the men's room got into a stall. I didn't have to go to the bathroom, but I sat there and I closed my eyes and I visualized giving this talk and everyone coming up afterwards saying that was a great speech. I went out, I gave a great speech and exactly what happened. So practicing in your mind of the result you want. So now I've got an experience because every time you have a win in your head, it's like having a win in the real world. And self-confidence is a result of surviving a risk. So the second thing is start small. You know, don't start by giving a speech to a thousand people, you know, give a speech to 
practice with your family, with your sister, with your friends, uh, into your iPhone, and then listen to it back again. And then you can go to 10 people, 20 people. And eventually, you know, I, you've seen these kids at contests where they're speaking to a thousand people at a state speaking, speaking contest, you know, but they didn't get there by starting with a thousand people. So, uh, and then the other thing I always tell them, don't try to memorize your talk. Because if you try to memorize it and you miss one word, all of a sudden you're going, oh, shoot, I missed that word. And now you're screwed. So you always want to just have a, you know, I don't have to memorize to tell you what I had for dinner last night. Right. It's my experience. So give your talk based on what you know and, and speak from your heart. And the last thing I would say is when you're giving a talk, look for friendly faces in the audience and only talk to those people. So if there's three kids out there or three adults in the front row who are your friends and family, you know, talk to them. And uh, and then eventually you'll be able to look out at the other people as well. Yeah, don't do the naked thing. Look at out, out the audience, imagining everyone naked. I don't know if that works or not. I, I've never done that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be distracting. <laughs> I think it would be very distracting. Uh, now, back to the book. I love that the characters in this book have a diverse multicultural background. How important yeah. was that to you? Very important because number one, I my first year, I taught high school for a number of years. And my first year was in an all black inner city high school in Chicago. And I saw how much their self-esteem was wounded because of the racism, because of the limited experience they had living in the ghetto and so forth. Um, and so I know that if you don't see yourself in movies, if you don't see yourself in books, you think you don't exist, you're not important. And up until recently, the only time you saw an African-American in a movie was they were the bank robber, they were the rapist, they were the guy in jail, you know. And so having positive images of kids of color, whether they're brown, yellow, black, whatever, I, we wanted to have a multicultural book. And then Miriam, my co-author, is also Hispanic by nature, you know, by uh, her background, she comes from uh, Latin America. And then also, um, I wanted to make sure that the book would be read by everybody because we now know a lot of african-americans won't buy a book if there's only white people in it you know so to get the largest uh, distribution as well as to make a statement we had something in america last year you probably heard about george floyd and the guy who was killed by the cop and so forth the black lives matter movement started and i think while we were doing this book that was also in the 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 culture at the moment and i think we wanted to take a stand for that as well yeah, it's, that was such an amazing uh, wake up for all of us, I think, on, on that whole, you know, yeah, so much we could say on that topic. Um, wow. Now, my last question for you today is, um, I guess it's around that sometimes life experience, like life experiences leave people feeling, you know, a bit beaten or deflated about life. Um, you know, many adults lose their sense of wonder, drive and ambition that they had when they were children um, after experiencing, you know, setbacks and failure and things like that. So if that happens, if someone is experiencing that right now, how can they get their, pas their passion and zest back, do you think? You know, have you got any tips uh, for, for finding motivation and inspiration in your life? You know, that thriving well, I think, thriving. first of all, obviously, there are books and movies and speakers and YouTube videos that are called inspirational, you know, whether it's a movie like Rocky, where someone overcomes something they think they can't do, or whether it's, you know, um, you know, a, a, a YouTube video where there's a motivational speaker speaking. There's this guy, Nick Vucic, who's born with no arms and no legs, and he's out there as a motivational speaker, you know, and you watch him. He talks at a lot of high schools and colleges and stuff. And you watch that and you go, oh, my God, 
if he can deal with that, then I can deal with anything. So I think it's important to, one, find those, watch them yourself, share them with your children so they also see that, wow, if that kid can do that, if that person can do that, then I, what's my, what's my excuse, you know? And so I think that it's important, just like we take vitamins and minerals for our health, uh, for our body, we also need vitamins and minerals for the mind. So whether it's reading a chicken soup book, listening to your podcasts, watching a you know YouTube video, a webinar, whatever, I would encourage people to make that part of your daily discipline. You know, I, I do three things every day. So I call it my hour of power. I meditate for 20 minutes, which gets me into a centered place as opposed to any negative thinking. I exercise for 20 minutes. We know that that actually helps build motivation and energy and dopamine and serotonin in the brain. And number three, I um, read for 20 minutes, something uplifting. I usually read longer than that, but that's a minimum. And so I keep myself inspired, both physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And I think the other thing is surround yourself with positive people. You know, when you're down, reach out. There's always someone who's not at the bottom of the valley. They're up here. And there's going to be times when you're on the mountaintop and they're in the valley. And we want to support each other. And I think often when we're down, we're afraid to reach out. We don't feel worthy of reaching out. We don't want to be a drag, et cetera. But that's the most important time you do need to reach out. So again, books, videos, friends. And, um, you know, then finally, I would just say this. What is it you really want? And then do what we talked about before. Visualize yourself getting it. Find out who already has it. What, would I, what could I learn from them? Tony Robbins has this great quote. He says, success leaves clues, meaning that everything anyone's wanted to do. You want to write a book? There's people who've written books about writing a book. You want to flip real estate? There's people who've taught you how to do that. You want to become the best chef in the world? There's classes, there's online courses, there's people that will teach you. And even when you burn your dinner, like we talked about earlier, they'll still encourage you to try it again. And then just practice, practice, practice. I love that. Jack, any parting words for our listeners uh, listening today? Yeah, I always say, look, if you have a dream, you have the capacity to make it come true. You're never given a dream that you don't have the capacity. You may have to learn some new things. You may have to partner up with some new people. You might have to go out and get certified in something. But if you want to be a better parent, you want to be a better author, you want to be a better speaker, you want to be a better scientist, whatever it is, you can do it. And there's all kinds of people out there who have left clues, as we said, make sure you go out there and uh, take advantage of that. There's no reason to not have an amazing life because it's, it's totally doable. Jack Camfield, thank you so much uh, for your so many, so many insights today. Uh, make sure you check out his new book, I Can Believe in Myself. Uh, it's amazing for children to read, but thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, we've had power go out and all sorts of things, but we got through it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Bree. I appreciate it. If you're loving the Pack Mag Parenting Podcast, then you'll love our other channels. Follow Pack Mag on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. It's a wrap. What did we learn on today's show? So we're going to change those can'ts into cans by having an I can't funeral to get the whole family to write down what they can't do and have a funeral. We've got to say goodbye to those negative thoughts, whether you burn them or shred them, um, flush them down the toilet even. No, don't do that. It might get a bit clogged up. Um, but, you know, I thought that was a really beautiful way for, you know, families in particular to turn those those can'ts into cans and really, I guess, realize 
that there's so many things that we believe that we can't do that we actually can. I loved Jack's idea to switch the swear jar into an I can't jar, uh, where every time someone says they can't do something, they've got to put money into the jar. And once the jar is full, you can donate it to your favorite charity. Uh, This highlights how much you use this term in front of your children or your children use it themselves as well. So I'm certainly going to get an I can't jar ready in my household uh, for all those I can't moments, especially around the, the house chores. Looking forward to that one. The other thing that we learn is that children are so quick to jump to an I can't moment uh, because they're so scared to fail. Now, as parents, we can chop down what needs to be done to succeed at the chosen task. And like Jack said, we've got to celebrate those steps a long way, no matter how big or small they may be. And we've got to be patient and believe in that task that they can achieve it. Uh, Like the example that Jack used, when we teach our children to walk, we don't give up after the hundredth try. We keep trying to work with that child and celebrate the little tiny improvements as they learn to walk. Uh, And as parents, it's important that we model self-acknowledgement and model admitting our own mistakes and model our true feelings and acknowledge we're still growing and learning too, uh, because there's no such thing as a perfect person. And that's really important to teach our children that from a young age. Uh, Because, you know, too often we are focusing on what we can't do uh, and we forget what we can do. So it's such a positive, amazing message that Jack was giving us today. Uh, And fear, the whole thing around fear holding us back, uh, because like Jack said, fear is imagining the negative outcome that might happen. Uh, And we want children to focus on what they would like to happen instead of what they think might happen uh, because your body can't tell the difference like Jack said uh, between the real event or the made-up scenario so to handle fear we've got to think of the outcome that we would like to happen and focus on that instead um, I really love Jack's idea of having two pictures on display in your house, one of your child doing something they love and the second one of the whole family where everyone is happy uh, because then your child is reminded that they are capable and that they are loved every time they see these pictures and that's what builds their self-esteem. Uh, Jack also gave us some really great tips for public speaking. Uh, number one was everyone is afraid as you are in life and you're not alone. Uh, number two was to practice your speech in your mind. Imagine everyone loving it. Uh, every time you have a, w- a win in your head, it counts as a win in real life. And number three was to start small. Uh, practice your speech in front of fr- uh, family and friends. Uh, number four was don't memorize your speech. You've got to give it based on your experience. And the last one was look for a friendly face in the audience and talk to them. Uh, this will build your confidence. And his parting words, uh, which I loved, were, if you have a dream, then you have the capacity to make it come true. I thought that was absolutely beautiful. Well, I can't believe we've wrapped up our 100th episode of the PacMag Parents podcast. Let me tell you, I have had so much fun bringing these podcast episodes to life and I have learned so, so much from all of the incredible experts we've had from all over the globe uh, that have been on the show. So a huge thank you to every single guest that we've had over the years. It's been amazing. Um, I've learned so much uh, helpful parenting advice along the way and I hope you have too. Um, All of us here at PacMag hope you love this episode. Please share it. Um, Please leave a comment on our and give us a rating. We would love that. Um, And if you've got any feedback, send us an email or send us a message. We would love to hear from you. Uh, But please share this podcast with your friends and your networks as well. Now, remember, any important links can be found in the show notes and you can play all of our episodes on our website at pacmag.com.au slash podcast. Uh, A big thank you to Jack Canfield for all of his incredible time today. Um, It was really beautiful to have him on the show. Um, I hope you got lots out of it like I did. 
And a big thank you to my incredible team that make this all happen for us. And thanks to you for listening. Truly appreciate it. Until next time, happy parenting. And don't forget to tell everyone you heard it on PacMag. See you later. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you want to be an expert guest or you've got a weird, wacky or wonderful product to share, don't be shy. Get in contact with our team at info at pacmag.com.au. This podcast is proudly produced by PacMag. You can listen to more episodes on our website, pacmag.com.au.